sense. You probably have a lot. In pockets, in your car, hiding in the bottom of drawers, quarters stacked by fours, and pennies lost under pillows. Sometimes scents even turn up from other countries. Where'd you get that? But the truth is, no matter how many scents we have, sometimes we still lack sense. S-E-N-S-E, sense. Sense is what keeps us from spending our money on things like sports cars we can't afford, or pet turtles listed on eBay as very shy. I don't think there's a turtle in there. But there's more to it than that. Sense tells us how many drive through lattes is too many, and how to plan for retirement. And what about what God says? How much money should you be giving to the church or to charity? How can you tell if God is calling you to spend money on something or to save a purchase for later? Or for never? Sense is what helps us navigate how to spend our cents. I mean, let's face it, our money is important to us. We care about it. Dollars and cents are what give us the ability to take adventures with family, make memories with friends, travel the world, and make an impact. God cares about your money too, and he wants to help you manage it. We all have sense. How will you use yours? So we spent three weeks uh, talking about this ancient uh, spiritual practice, discipline of fasting, which most of you had, uh, it was actually fairly new at our small group this week. Uh, We talked about this concept of fasting, and most of the people in our small group grew up in church, and we kind of went around the the room. Not one of them had ever heard a sermon or a series on fasting. So it was a brand new thing for most of us. In a couple weeks, we're going to start on a a more of a deeper theological issue and and topic in a series uh, on the attributes of God that will lead us up to Easter. And so between this ancient practice that was new and this theological uh, teaching on the attributes of God, I thought for a couple weeks it might be good to just kind of have a little bit of a breather, kind of cleanse the palate. And so today we're going to start off a two-week, quick two-week series on something that is very, very biblical. We're going to use a lot of scripture, but it's extremely, extremely practical and applies to every single one of us. It has to do with our, our finances, our money, the resources, and what does God's word have to say to us about that? Now, I want to just say this right up front, that today, I, I want to I do this a little different today. I want to come to you not as your pastor, Today, I want to speak to you as if I were your father. Now, I know for some of you, I'm way older and old enough to be your grandfather. I get that. Some of you, I could be your children. I want to speak to you as if I were your dad. We're going to have this kind of father-child talk today, uh, less as a preacher preaching a sermon. It's It's a dad talking to his kids that he loves dearly and wants the best for it. And, and I want to just approach this as a father that would give words of wisdom, of truth, advice, of lessons learned in this whole arena of, uh, of finance. And, and with that said, as I talk to you as your father, you can do to me what you did to your own father. Roll your eyes, tune me out, disagree, and not apply any of it. I get that, especially in this area, because for some of you, I'm going to be way more conservative than you, and I get that. I'm just acknowledging that up front, but I do want to speak to you as your father, and I want to give you the word of God that says, listen to your father, (laughs) who gave you life. Now, I didn't give you life, and Solomon wrote this, and he's writing it, you know, to his kids, like, listen to your father. I think there's a couple ways you could interpret this, like listen to your father, you know, that whole, I brought you into this world, I can take you out kind of thing, you better listen. Or it could have been, you know, listen, I am the sperm donor and you are therefore incumbent to listen to me. I don't think that was it. 
I think what he's saying is, listen, I'm your father, and I love you more than anyone else, and I want the very best for you. And yes, I gave you biological life, but I'm asking you to listen because I want you to, I want you to hear how to live that life. And there's some things that I know because I am your dad and I'm older and I've gone through some things and I've learned some lessons and I've got some scars and I've got some victories and there's some advice that I can give to you. Now, I don't know about you and I don't know your relationship you had with your dad, but there were times where my dad would sit me down and say, you know, Bob, listen to me. I'm your father. I know what I'm talking about. If you will listen to me, you will thank me later. And most of the time I didn't, but he would say that. I know what I'm talking about and usually he did. And there were these, these, like, these dad phrases that he would give to me. I don't know, if, I mean, we, we've all heard dad jokes and we've grown at those. Here's the thing, dad jeans are coming in. This is an actual thing and I couldn't be more excited. They're jeans from the 90s. Yes, I cannot wait to get some dad jeans. But these dad phrases, dad phrases, you probably had these things that your dad said. There were these little, little things he would come back to and he would say the first word and you could finish the sentence for him. Because there were these dad phrases that he always said, son, change the, okay, I know, the oil, every day, okay. Whatever it might be. The interesting thing is, Solomon, who was a father, he had a lot of these dad phrases, these, these short pieces of, of advice that he would give to his children. And they were so profound that, and so many that he put them together in a book. The book is called the book of Proverbs. Some of you are very familiar with that, that book. But he writes all of these different dad phrases in this book little, um, almost, <clears throat> excuse me, like tweets of truth. And a lot of the topics that he covers in there have to do with finance. He spends a lot of time talking about earning, about working, about being lazy, about saving, about spending, about investing, about loaning, uh, about wealth and greed and generosity and debt, a lot of these different phrases. And you think, okay, well, he would come to his children and say, Listen, I know what I'm talking about. And we can say, okay, all right, it's the Bible, whatever, sure. But here's what gives uh, credibility to Solomon in his dad phrases. This is what it says about Solomon in 2 Chronicles. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. Now, there are a lot of people who are great in riches but not wisdom. You might know them. I mean, they're all over the tabloids. We see them. I mean, a lot of people have a lot of money, but not a lot of wisdom to go with it. Solomon had more wisdom and riches, great combination, than all the other kings. So much so, in fact, that all these other kings, it says, all the kings of the earth, sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. They would travel with their entourage at great expense of time and resources to come and hear the wisdom of Solomon. And as I was reflecting on that, I thought, if they would do that, if they would sacrifice that much time, that much resources to come and glean wisdom from him, how much more should we at least give him a listen to hear some of his dad phrases and just invest maybe a half hour or so to hear some of those. So today, we're gonna look at some of the dad phrases that Solomon's used regarding finances and resources, and I'm gonna tag team with Solomon because I'm gonna give you six of my own dad phrases. They're gonna be six little phrases, anywhere from three to five words long, and uh, not all of them are original to me, but this is, as a father, if you were my children, this is I w what I would want you to hear regarding the area of finances, and, um, and so I would just ask that you just kinda listen all the way through, and then you can do with it whatever you want. 
I'll also say that my dad phrases aren't just a summation and a synopsis of Solomon's dad phrases. I think they're, they're in line, but some of mine, I'm telling you, some of these I've learned the hard way. Some of them uh, I, I learned the easy way because I listened to some advice. This is how I live my life. I'm not giving you just some, some pat answer. This is how I live my life and some of these lessons that I've learned. So you're gonna get some dad phrases from Solomon and from me, we're tag teaming on this one. I think it's probably best we just start off with a dad joke. You know why they call money dough? Because we all need it. All right, let's move on. Back to the Bible, back to the Bible. Proverbs chapter three says this. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. Solomon says, you know what, the, the, the real blessed life is more than just accumulating gold and silver. In fact, there may be something more valuable than just having gold and silver to have understanding, to have knowledge, to have wisdom. And I think he would also say that maybe one of the best inheritances you could ever receive from your parents is not necessarily an amount of money, but it's the knowledge and the understanding and the wisdom to know how to deal with money. That there might be a better, now some of you are saying, don't tell my parents that. I'm just saying, let them go ahead and give you the money. But the best inheritance are these words of wisdom regarding our money and all of those things that, that we face around the, the arena of finance. Charles Dickens wrote uh, that a Christmas carol um, uh, with uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, uh, which, you know, we kind of, you know that story, which Scrooge, by the way, the main character, he was a miser, which is the root word of miserable, miserable. He was a miserable man and he was a miser. And he was visited by these three ghosts, the ghost of, of Christmas past, the ghost of, ghost, Christmas present and Christmas future. You know all that. I was thinking about that. I thought, because he's visited by these ghosts of the past, the present, and the future, his mindset changes, his whole life changes, his approach to everything changes. I thought, how great would it be if we could kind of be visited by the, the ghost of finance past, the ghost of finance present, and the ghost of finance future, that maybe it would change our perspective in our life. So I'm gonna use that as my framework for our, our father-child talk that we're gonna have today. And, uh, and I want us to look at these different things. We'll, we'll start off with the past. And when I talk about the past, this ghost of finance past, I'm really kind of talking about in the arena of debt. And this is what I mean by that, that in the past, we've all made choices, we've made decisions, we've made purchases, we've signed contracts, we've entered into leases, we've put things on credit cards, we've, we've uh, bought things on time, all these things, and so there's debt. Now, it would be nice if we could just say, yeah, let's go back and revisit that, isn't that it's nice that that's in the past? But here's the deal, the ghost of the finance past actually becomes the demon of debt. And the demon of debt doesn't stay in the past. The demon of debt actually will possess your presence and frustrate your future. That's just the reality of this. Now I know, I know, the whole idea of debt and buying on time and revolving credit and, and lines of credit, all that, that's just the American way. Pause. Whenever I preach on finances, especially with debt, I have to use unbelievable restraint to not bore you with all kinds of statistics. Because there are so many statistics. And I'll just say today, I'm only gonna give you three statistics. There are so many more that I could and so many more I would love to. I'm just gonna limit myself to three. But this American way of debt, that's just kinda how we operate. So here's my first statistic. Is that in America, the average American carries a personal debt, not, not the mortgage in their house, okay? 
the average American carries a personal debt of $38,000. Now, some of you are saying, is that all? <laughs> you need this sermon. Some of you are saying, whoa, really? All right, so that might include a car payment, might include credit cards, might include lines of credit, binding contracts and lease agreements, might include student debt. The average American has a personal debt of $38,000. This is where I'm showing unbelievable restraint to talk about how long it would take if you did monthly minimum payments, how much interest you would pay, how many three or four or five times over you would pay for this thing that's already in the landfill. I'm, I'm not even gonna go there. You're welcome. All right. But here's the, the reality, that we as Americans live this way and we come by it honestly because our country operates this way. Stat number two. In the uh, Congressional Office uh, of Budget, the Congressional Budget Office, they predict that 2020, the United States government in America, we will operate at a just over a $1 trillion deficit, which is tagged on to our national debt. And their predictions are, over the course of the next 10 years, you can expect an average of America operating at $1.3 trillion deficit every single year. Okay, statistic number two done. I am not a CPA. I'm not a financial advisor. I didn't even do that great in math. But it does not take a rocket scientist to figure out you cannot sustain that. That is not sustainable. I don't care if you're an individual, if you're a couple, if you're a church, if you're a company, if you're a corporation, if you're a country, you can't keep living that way. Somewhere it's gotta end. Or at least you gotta die, but you can't keep going that way. I mean, it's just foolish to think that you can live that way, and yet our country does as a country, and we as a people live that way. It's foolish, but it just seems like, well, of course, that's, a, that's how we do this. So Solomon gives us his dad phrase, and he says, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. There's another time when Solomon used this same start, and he says there's a way that it seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to destruction. I think that applies very much to the way our country is operating and the way most of us live our lives. But a wise man, he says, will listen to advice. I wanna be cautious of taking something out of context and twisting it for my purposes, but Romans 12, two says this, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think that applies to our finances just as much as it does to our morality. To not take our cues from the world around us, but to think differently and to act differently and to live differently. So here comes my first dad phrase, and it's this. Avoid debt like the plague. Avoid debt like the plague. Now again, I said for some of you, I'm a little more conservative than you are. I'm just telling you how I live my life. I'm telling you the hard lessons I've learned. The, the truth is this. The Bible, the Bible does not prohibit debt. The Bible does not prohibit, it's not a sin to take out a loan. The Bible, all throughout the scripture, you take the entirety, the, the, the full uh, uh, preponderance of scripture, the Bible highly discourages debt. It points out all the pitfalls, it points out all the warnings, all the dangers. In fact, every reference to debt, to loans, to, to getting into borrowing in the Bible are negative and there are warnings against it. Doesn't prohibit it, but just says, listen, this is not a wise thing to do. You gotta understand what you're dealing with here. 
If you've been around Cornwall for three or four years or longer, you've probably heard me tell my story of how I dug myself in, in the late 80s and the early 90s. And there was a, a vehicle that I had that I couldn't afford and there were credit cards that were maxed out and there was a line of credit and there was a student loan and there was this lifestyle, all this stuff. And I dug myself in and I got to this point where it was really, really scary. I, was, I could not get out on my own and it was embarrassing and it was painful and it was awful. This was like late 80s, early 90s. In 1991, the Red Hot Chili Peppers came out with a song and there was a tagline in there that became my whole mantra. I don't ever want to feel like I did that day. I don't want to do this anymore. It was awful. And there were some painful conversations that had to happen and some embarrassing, humbling things that had to happen. And I began to change and I began to dig out and it didn't happen overnight. But the final payment was on that car that I couldn't afford. And I paid that car off in 1991. And at that point, all of my credit card debt was paid for. All of my, I finally got out of debt, completely out of debt. And when I made that last car payment, I made a decision. This is me. I made a decision. I never, ever want to pay another payment to a lending institution for a vehicle. That was my decision. Now, don't get me wrong. I make a car payment every single month. But I make that car payment to myself. And I pay myself for my next car. So I'm making those car payments in advance. But from that point in 1991 until this day, I have, and my wife and I, have always paid cash. It's a decision we made because we don't want to be back into that same way. And I, conservative I know, I drive cars longer than most people. My FJ Cruiser has 181,000 miles on it. I plan to drive it for a couple more years. Here's the cool thing. And I don't say this as, oh, look at Bob, he's so cool. I'm saying I, I learned this the hard way. And I made a decision. As your dad, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> My next vehicle is already paid for. I don't even know what it is. And I don't even know when I'm going to get it. But it's already paid for because I've been making payments to myself. This is just a choice that I made. And in 1991, when those credit cards were paid off, I made a determination, because I, I, I listened to some advice. I heard about how much interest is paid and all this stuff. That from that day till this day, I said, I will never put anything on a credit card. I have credit cards. I will never put anything on a credit card that I can't pay off that month. And my wife and I live this way. This week we celebrate our 20th anniversary. In the last 20 years, we have never paid, and I'm not bragging, I'm just saying this was a decision. We have never paid one cent of credit card interest because I don't want to go back to where I was before. I don't want to throw money away. I don't want to dump money down on some interest. What, what does Dave Ramsey call that? The stupid tax. I paid my fair share, and I don't want to do that again. So I would say, Avoid debt like the plague. Now, some of you might be saying, yeah, but I'm so deep in. There's like, there's no, I, I'm just, I can't get out of this. Well, I got to keep doing this. I mean, that's the American lifestyle. That's the American country. We're, our national debt is so big, we're never going to pay that off, so let's just keep racking it up. Some of us live our lives that way. Here's my second dad phrase for you. Attack debt with a vengeance. It's not going to get paid off overnight. And it may not be a year or even five years but you wage war on that debt. And there will come a day, and I want to tell you the unbelievable freedom to know 
I don't have credit cards, I don't have you know, collectors, I don't have all this pressure. There is so much freedom and as your dad, I want that for you. When I was in grade school, um, I was introduced, probably in language arts class, I was introduced to a form of poetry that I thought was the most foolish form of poetry I've ever seen in my life. It doesn't rhyme, it doesn't have a cool cadence, and it's incredibly short. It's called haiku. It's simple. Five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables, same topic. To me, I thought this is the, no offense, I thought this is the dumbest form of poetry ever. So I wrote one for you today. <laughs> the debt haiku, and it's kind of an infusion. Here it is. Borrowing trouble, living upside down ain't fun, debt es no bueno. <laughs> See, this is a, an infusion because it's a Japanese form of poetry. It's the American lifestyle with some Spanish kicked in. I mean, they, you are welcome. There is your haiku for the day. So listen, kids. I'm just telling you, as your dad, I, I know what I'm talking about. And, and if you could hear anything, avoid debt like the plague and attack debt with a vengeance. All right, how about that ghost of spending and finance present? And when we talk about the present, we're really talking about our lifestyle right here and now. Because as we've already seen, there may have been some stuff from the past that makes its way into the present, that some of that demon of debt that possesses the presence actually kind of has... Uh, boy, some implications on how we are able to live, what we're able to do, and some of our limitations. And so I would say this, live in such a way that your today does not become a past that you later regret. The stuff that you regret from before, don't, don't keep repeating that same, that same foolishness. Live in such a way that your today, the decisions you make today, the purchases you make today, the agreements you get into and the contracts you sign, live in such a way that your today does not become a regret that you will, a, a, a regret that you will have later. Live that way. See, most of us live a lifestyle that our income has to chase. We're living at this level, and so I need to make more money. I need to work more overtime. I need to get a better job. And we live a lifestyle that our income chase instead of going the other way around. Instead of saying, you know what, I make this so that I can determine what my lifestyle is. Well, Solomon had a few things to say about this. He says, one man pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. This seems kind of funky, but you know what will help you understand this whole verse? Is if you remove the word pretend and you put in the word appears. That makes a lot more sense. One man appears to be rich, yet has nothing. Another appears to be poor, yet has great wealth. And I think most of you have seen this. You know people like this. You might be people like this. They have this incredible house, but it's got a couple of different mortgages and refinanced, and they're going to be paying on it forever. Right next to that house is this beautiful large boat, and it sits there 360 days a year because they can't afford to put it in a moorage and because the, the, the block is cracked and they can't afford to fix it. Once they get it fixed, they cannot afford the fuel to take it out to the San Juans and back. So they sit there with insurance and maintenance and, and it sits there and they drive this incredible car that they've got this lease on and they're paying for and they go on these vacations and they're in this timeshare and, and the Facebook posts are beautiful but they're gonna pay for it for the rest of their lives. They appear to be rich. <laughs> a little side note, last night after church, a guy came up to me and says, you know where we came from today? 
we came from the Seattle boat show to church. We didn't even go home. Or you're, my wife said, there goes your boat. All right, listen. That's up to them. I'm just saying, and you know, there are people that at all outward appearances, they look like they are, they've got it going on. They are wealthy. Boy, are they rich. Many of them are leveraged to the top. They have no breathing room. There's no margin. They're barely making it, and it's a disaster. There are other people that appear poor. Drive an FGA cruiser with 181,000 miles. I don't know. They appear poor. They don't have to have the newest, nicest, biggest, brightest, best, fastest, whatever. And yet, what you don't know is that they are doing really, really well. And they don't have the financial pressures. And they've got some, some stuff set aside in case there's an emergency. They don't fear something breaking, something going out, some financial crisis, because they've prepared. Here's another one Solomon said. He says, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. He does this contrast, the wise and the foolish. The wise has stores, the foolish devours. Now this is not talking about hoarding. There is a difference there. But a wise person lives in such a way that there's, there's some margin here. And it's not just barely squeaking by. We got just a little bit left. He says it's choice food and oil. That's a way of saying it's like abundance. It's not like just top ramen and mac and cheese. It's got some good stuff. But the foolish man devours all he has. Just consumes it all. That's why we make it. We make it to spend it. And it's all gone. You know, with animals, there are these um, collective nouns. Like a herd of element, elephants. Uh, the herd is the collective noun. Um, a flock of seagulls, uh, a crash of rhinos. How, how about crows? Anyone know the crows? A murder of crows. It's just like scary. I found out for goldfish what the collective noun is. I always thought it was a school. The collective noun for goldfish is a troubling of goldfish. I thought that was interesting. A troubling. They're all in there, all troubling. Which, by the way, goldfish are just hybrid carp. It's, it's just, anyway. But the interesting thing about goldfish is, and some of you are aware of this, you put flakes on the top of their little container, they'll eat them all. You put some more in, they'll keep eating them. And a goldfish will devour food and devour food and devour food and devour food until he dies. A goldfish will actually eat himself to death and then you have a trouble, goldfish. And Solomon says, sometimes we live like a goldfish. We just devour all that we have. And so there's no margin, there's no room, there's nothing left over. And again, statistic number two, this is the way most Americans live. Uh, number three, sorry, this is the last one. Some of you are keeping track. <laughs> the large, vast majority of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Um, statistics would show just under 80% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, and that would include some of you. This is not meant to be guilt and shame. It's to acknowledge the reality. And the problem when you're living paycheck to paycheck is what happens if you miss a paycheck? What happens if there's some unforeseen crisis? What if something breaks because something always breaks? 
and to live under that kind of pressure. You know, we write these songs of even though we ain't got money, I'm so in love with you, honey. You know, living on love, buying on time. It all sounds like romantic songs. You know what the number one stressor in marriage is? Finance. And it's usually because we have not lived according to biblical principles or listened to your father's advice. So, here's my dad phrase for you. Live below your means. In fact, what I would say is live well below your means. Because for some, some, it's this tendency to go after this standard of living. In order to have this standard of living, there's a big difference between a standard of living and a quality of life. We go after this standard of living and it impacts the quality of our life. We will, in order to sustain this standard of living, we sacrifice the quality of life. We sacrifice the peace of mind. We sacrifice the relational harmony. We sacrifice the, the uh, breathing room, the, the margin in our life because we go after this. Now, I know this is all pretty heavy, so let's have another dad joke. What will determine if you end up with a nest egg or a goose egg is the chick you marry. Okay, all right. I don't know. That's not fair. That is not fair. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, that, that really... I. Don't write me letters, I don't, just let it go, <laughs> breathe easy. All right, so there's an equation, as your dad, equation, a very simple equation to live by. This one is not original to me, so I've taught it to you before, I've taught it to my daughters, I'm teaching it to you, and it's simply this, give, save, live. This is the way to, to, to do life in your financial world, in this order, give, save, live. In Proverbs chapter three, we won't look at it now, but it's chapter three, verse nine and 10. Solomon says, honor the Lord with your first fruits, the very first part. Honor God. At the very, very beginning, just invite him to be a part. Recognize that everything comes from him. Your ability to earn comes from him. All that you've got comes from him in a way of saying, God, I recognize that. I'm grateful to you. I'm inviting you to be a part of my, my resources. You give first. Second is that you save. You pay yourself. You say, we're not gonna consume this. We're not gonna goldfish this stuff. We're gonna, no goldfish, we're gonna squirrel this away. Maybe for the future, maybe for a crisis, maybe for some, some emergency, or maybe some, some dream that we have, but we're gonna put this away, and then we live below our means. This is what will determine our lifestyle. And kind of a rule of thumb for this is the 10, 10, 80. This whole idea of giving 10%, that's what the tithe is referred to. You find it throughout the Old and the New Testament, this concept of the first 10% of what I have, I give it to God. It's his, all from him anyway. The second 10%, I pay myself before I pay any of the other, other bills. I pay myself and I put it away. And then with the other 80%, that's how I live. Listen, this is not American. This is not easy. And it's not always the most fun. But as your dad, this is the wise way to live. And for some of you who live this way, let me tell you something else. Let me just kind of maybe um, encourage you. Some of you may say, yeah, we've lived this way for years. We're good with that. Have you ever considered that maybe now in your station of life, in the uh, income that you now receive, in, in your season, that maybe these aren't the best ratios anymore? Again, I, I don't say this to say, oh, look at me and, and trying to be bragging or whatever. My wife and now are in a season 
we're empty nesters. It costs us less to live these days than it used to. So over the years, we've increased these two percentages and we've decreased that percentage. And maybe for some of you who've been living this way for years, you never really thought about that. But maybe, maybe you're in a season of life where it really wouldn't be that big of a stretch to be even more generous than you already are. I mean, you're a generous congregation, but maybe you say, God, we'd like to increase that. And you know what? We're gonna even max out some stuff for retirement. We're gonna go a little higher than that. We're gonna even drop this down. That maybe that's something for where you are now in your season of life that you might change some of those ratios. But this is either, some of you are like, man, I'm not even close to that. This is a good thing to shoot toward, start working toward maybe a percent a year. Just start getting that direction or, or to, to maintain that and it's to live below your means. All right, with that, let's go to the, the angel of finance future. When we talk about the future, I'm talking about foresight, you know, being able to look ahead. So often, as Americans, and I, I hate to just categorize, but it's just, as a general rule, it's true in America. We think about here and now, we don't think about what is this gonna mean. As long as I can make this payment, I'm good. I'm within my means, I can make these payments, it's good, I'll just live this way for the rest of my life and not really give any foresight. Well, Solomon has some words to say about that. He said, listen, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. And the danger thing, maybe, maybe that's some, some emergencies. But the principle here is there's an anticipation of what could be in the future. And it's not always negative. An anticipation for what could be for a dream purchase, for a future home, to help our kids through college, and a retirement thing, to be able to be more generous, to go on the mission field. It's this anticipation and then planning accordingly. When I... Um, followed the call of God in, in my, on my life and to go into ministry. My dad was a pastor. Early on in my ministry, just got out of college, and he sat me down for one of these dad-son talks. And he said, Bob, um, let me just tell you something. I've been in ministry my whole life. I have a lot of friends who are ministers, and they are great men of God. And um, I just want to tell you, some of my friends approached being a pastor with this idea of I'm just, I'm here to be a servant, I'm here to serve God, and God will take care of me. And that's wonderful, their heart is beautiful. But they never ever plan for retirement, and some of my friends who are retiring have nothing. So I'm 20 some year old kid, and dad says, get in the pension and put something into the pension every paycheck you get. And he would say, I know what I'm talking about. Because he said, I don't want you to get to the end of your life and realize, man, I don't have anything set aside. And can I, as, as your dad, can I just say one other thing? If you have an employer or a company that offers some kind of a matching retirement, matching 501, some K, they, got, they have something that they will match you with, and you're not taking that to its fullest degree as your dad, I'm saying, what is wrong with you? You're just saying, no, I don't want your free money. They're offering to give you free money if you'll just put some away. By all means, take that to the full extent of what they're willing to match. Okay, rant over, but you got it from me. <laughs> to think through the future. Solomon would say this. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. 
He's not saying, let's get rich quick. So there's some consistency. When you think about and you plan a little bit at a time, you just keep doing that a little bit at a time. You know, I, I mentioned that I would hold off on the statistics about how awful interest is on your credit cards and all those things over years. Here's the beauty. The converse is true as well. That little by little, if you've ever seen those charts that talk about the power of compounding interest, it's amazing, especially the earlier you start. The power of compounding interest and so my word to you children is this, make interest your friend. In most of our lives, it's our enemy, it's taking from us. Live in such a way that, that interest becomes your friend, that it's giving to you. With no effort on your part, it just happens and it compounds. Phenomenal, if you've never seen charts about compounding interest, man, go online and talk to a financial advisor, talk to somebody, it's unbelievable to have that in your life. All right, my final dad phrase for you is this. Plan like an ant. Not your rich ant. Plan like an ant. Solomon in all his wisdom, he would just look at the world around. He would make these observations and he would draw lessons and truths out of that. And he saw these little insects, these ants that we try to kill and spray and put ant bait down and stomp and stuff. And he saw something in the way that they operated, and he says, man, there's great wisdom in that. Proverbs 6, 6, he says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Don't get thrown off, don't get offended, don't, just relax, okay? Go to the ant, son, daughter. Go to the ant, consider its ways and be wise. This ant has a brain smaller than the top of a pen, but it's got great wisdom. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Here's this little ant that knows how to prepare for the future better than most Americans do. And no one is forcing him to do it. There's no outside force saying, you have to do this, you better do this. He just knows intuitively, I'm gonna set some stuff aside. I'm gonna continue to plan for the future. He says, learn from that ant, little by little, Compounding interest, consistency over time, and it will make an incredible difference. So, here are my dad phrases for you. Avoid debt like the plague, attack debt with vengeance, live below your means, give, honor God first, save, pay yourself first, and then live, make interest your friend, and plan like an ant. I'm not the richest guy in the room. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. But as your father, I know what I'm talking about here. And if you will adopt these dad phrases, it will change your life. You have to be diligent, you have to be intentional. You might even have to be brutal with yourself and with your spending. But this is what I want for you. So Solomon's last dad phrase, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. I'm glad we've had this talk. <laughs> I think it went well. Two more things and I'll let you go. We want this for you. I want this for you. And one of the great things that, that we started offering about three years ago is, is Financial Peace University. We have another one that starts in a couple of weeks. Um, and some of you might be listening to the sermon saying, man, my, my finances are out of whack. Now, I cannot highly recommend this enough. 
Some of you might be saying, yeah, we're doing okay, but it could be better. I can highly recommend this for you. Um, you can sign up online. Uh, when it fills up, there will be a waiting list. We're going to continue to offer this every year, maybe twice a year. We'll see. Um, I know in Skagit, some, of, some folks from Skagit are actually coming up to be a part of this. It's a nine-week course. I'm glad that they're, they're involved with this. Uh, when I took this, when we first offered it here, was it three years ago? My wife and I took it, and we were in our small group, and we had singles in there, and we had young marrieds in there, and we had young families in there, and we had old people like us in there. We had all arenas of life. And there was a young guy, he's in his 20s, and he was in this. And every week we'd come in and say, dude, if at your age, if you'll start living this way, oh, man, you, you're, oh. And we just kept thinking, we, we, wish we were doing this when we were in our 20s. And we just kept saying, man, apply this to your life, live these things out. It's an incredible, incredible thing. You say, well, I'm not into Dave Ramsey. Then find something to help you get on track with that. Let me talk to another group of you that are like maybe my age and older, because maybe some of you have done this very, very well. And some of you maybe have heard that this last year, uh, we have started the Cornwall uh, Church uh, Endowment Fund. And I want to tell you about some of that. For some of you, this could be really helpful for you especially as you reach 70 and a half and you have your required minimal distributions, there are some things that could actually help you out tax-wise. As you plan your estate and your wills, there's some things that actually can help your family get even more and advance the purposes of the kingdom of God at the same time. It's an amazing thing. We're not trying to milk you for all you've got. I'm just saying, and on February 15th and 16th, we're gonna have some information meetings. It's one hour We'd invite you to come and just hear you don't, you don't, you're not committed to do anything else. Just come and listen and hear and see how maybe this could be beneficial for you in the latter years of life and even after your life and for your family and for the kingdom of God. Anyway, I think one of the greatest things we can do is steward what God has entrusted to us. And so as your dad, thanks for listening to me. I know some of you are still rolling your eyes, won't apply a word I said, but I know what I'm talking about. Hey, Skadden, I'm gonna turn you over to Pastor Brian with some exciting news for you guys today. Unbelievable, it's gonna be cool. All right, God bless you. Have a great week. Here, why don't we stand as we close in prayer. Father, thank you for the wisdom of your word. And God, I thank you for how absolutely practical these scriptures are to us. So I pray that we would have wisdom and that we would live in a way that honors you in a way that would give us freedom to make an even bigger impact in our world. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.